to the Second Destination Melbourne podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Stewart. This month's episode features a conversation with Martin Heng, Accessible Travel Manager and Editorial Advisor at Lonely Planet. In 2010, Martin was hit by a car and left a quadriplegic while he was riding his bike to work. Despite lengthy rehab, he still spends most of his time in a motorised wheelchair and when he came into the Destination Melbourne office a few weeks ago to address a meeting of local government reps and to uh, do this interview, it made us really think about how accessible our workplace is. For instance, our building's only accessible toilet is located on the ground level and we're on level 12. But not only would someone in a wheelchair have to go all the way back down to use the facilities, but they also need to pull two doors open and actually have them open at the same time to get in, which is a challenge for even an able-bodied person. Other things like door widths meant that Martin and I did this interview in a communal area in our office, which is why you might hear a printer buzzing away at one point. I guess this example offers a chance for you to think about how accessible your workplace, destination or attraction is. One of our long-term campaigns at Destination Melbourne is based around the concept of visitability and making Melbourne the most visitable city in the world. Accessibility is a key pillar of this and if you'd like to know more about visitability and see some awesome Melbourne businesses who are leading the way in some case studies, head to destination.melbourne. I'll keep the plug section pretty brief this time. Uh, If you're subscribed to us on iTunes, rate us. It will help more people find the podcast, which is the whole point of this thing after all. Uh, If you have any suggestions for an interviewee, please email me at dylan at destination.melbourne. And tickets to the Victorian Tourism Industry Christmas Party are on sale. We've teamed up with VTIC and the Melbourne Convention Bureau to host this year's Christmas party at Cargo Hall, South Wharf, on Wednesday the 30th of November. Tickets for VTIC and Convention Bureau members are $80 and $115 for non-members. Visit destination.melbourne slash events for details and to book. But without any further ado, here's my chat with Martin Heng of Lonely Planet. Tell me a bit about your career up until this point. Well, I've spent most of my life in publishing. Um, Started as an editor back in London in 1985. So long time, it's like 30 years in publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked for Lonely Planet here in Melbourne f- since 1999. I was with them, I started as a, as a senior editor, then I rose to become editorial manager. Editorial manager for about seven years. And um, that means that I was in charge of, basically in charge of all book production. And then um, I had um, an accident, I was hit by a car while I was on my bike. I used to cycle to work every day, mm-hmm. um, which is... Uh, a 40-kilometre round trip. Right. I did that for several years, many years, mm-hmm. uh, and I was hit by a car in the um, end of 2010. Okay. And uh, ended up uh, quadriplegic. Yep. So in a wheelchair, power wheelchair. And then um, I did actually spend quite a long time in rehab, but then got back to my former role as editorial manager after about two to two and a half years. And then um, probably six, six to eight months after that, the company was re- was sold mm-hmm. and restructured, and we that that role was made redundant. And at that point, I um, started looking, started working full time in in kind of accessible travel or travel with disability 
it's um, it's called accessible travel rather than travel with a disability because it's not just about people with a disability, it's people with access needs, if Absolutely, you like. yep. And um, so had you given much thought to accessible travel before no. the accident? No, not at all. And indeed, Lonely Planet, in every guidebook, there is a section in every guidebook that used to be called Travel with a Disability, which was basically a couple of token paragraphs. Mm -hmm. um, now it's called Accessible Travel. But again, it's still quite tokenistic in terms of the mainstream product. Mm -hmm. um, my long-term vision is to incorporate accessible information into our mainstream products rather than have dedicated accessible travel products. But um, at the moment... As the company is still going through changes, it hasn't yet been possible, but that's my long-term aim, is to actually incorporate access information into our mainstream product. Mm -hmm. The United Nations yep. estimates up to 1 billion people around the world are affected by disability that's or right. reduced mobility. Mm -hmm. Pretty significant. Um, well, I think it's 1 billion. It's a seventh of the world's population who, are, um, who have some sort of disability. And mm -hmm. that's not, not necessarily, um, as I was saying earlier, um, people with restricted mobility, or PRMs, probably only make up about a quarter of that right. population. Um, there's probably a full quarter of that one billion people who have invisible mm -hmm. disabilities. You wouldn't necessarily know to look at them if they have some sort of a disability. Yep. So it's important to remember that it's, it's not all about people with restricted mobility. It's certainly not all about people in wheelchairs who only make up some... You know, some figure less than 10% of people with disability mm. are wheelchair users. Do you find that or have you seen that uh, a lot of the implementation by businesses or by destinations to cater for travellers with a disability or accessibility needs are for that smaller portion who are in a wheelchair? Yeah, definitely. Because as a population, probably you know, we are the most visible. And most obvious, mm -hmm. and, and I guess you know it's 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 oh yeah, let's put a ramp in so wheelchairs can get in, and that's important. But it's equally important to remember that you know there are many many people with um, who are who are aging and who have an acquired acquired disability, and, that, and, and more often than not, that's either sight or hearing. Mm -hmm. How does the Melbourne tourism industry, and you know, including transportation providers, restaurants, and cafes, retailers? under that umbrella. How does Melbourne rate in terms of catering for visitors with accessibility needs? I think the transport network network is pretty good. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. It's not it's not ideal, but it's pretty good. There's the gold standard I think is is, is Singapore mm -hmm. um, where the entire infrastructure is, is set up for people with a disability. They've even got their pedestrian crossings you, you in the in the in the centre of the city you can be issued a special card and you can tap on the pedestrian costume to give you twice the amount of time to cross the road. That's the kind. Of, that's what. Wow. We, that's what. That's what we really should be aiming for. Mm -hmm. uh, all their buildings are accessible. All their transport is accessible. In in Melbourne, the transport is generally pretty good. But you are, um, as a wheelchair user, always reliant on the driver of the train or the bus to get out of their seat and put a ramp out for you. Mm -hmm. That's great and it makes some it makes a, a trans it makes the transport accessible, but it's not equality. Yeah. You know, it's not equality of access, which is what really we, we should be aiming for. Mm. In terms of um, infrastructure, um, I think in general Albert is again pretty good in terms of and I can only speak from this from my own experience in terms of um, being in a wheelchair. 
there's a the, the dropped curbs, so so you can get on and off on and off pavements, pretty good. Yeah, um, and that's not and and that's particularly good in the centre of the city, but it's also good in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, there's a lot of thought being given given to kind of making pavements accessible, um, which is really good. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I find it's better than Sydney in terms of in Sydney you still have to if you you can't just jump on a train in Sydney and know that you can get to from A to B you get know. off where you need to yeah yeah you still have to make sure that there are people that, and they have to phone ahead and make sure there are people and then there are some stations you can get off but you can't get get back on mm-hmm. so I think that our transport network compares favorably to Sydney yeah well that's always good to hear yeah and what about in terms of um, you know, if a visitor comes to Melbourne, they've got two days to spend here. They're mm-hmm. not going to spend all their time sitting on a train. So when they go to the different attractions or they go out for lunch or for dinner, is that a pretty is that a good experience for them in terms of Look, being I think able to get so. I think so. I think I think in terms of tourist attractions per se, as in as in kind of mainstream touristic destination, Melbourne does a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the attractions in Melbourne are accessible. And I think, you know, again, um, probably Phillip Island is, is, is setting a really good example. Yeah. With all their the, the renovations that they've they've made and all the all the changes they've made to their facilities over the last few years, they've put a lot of effort into making all their different attractions on, on Phillip Island very accessible. Mm-hmm. And I myself experienced that because I went down with overseas visitors to the Penguin Parade, and it's pretty it's pretty crowded. And you, know, you don't you don't get to see very much because you know it's so crowded. But there's a section of there's, it's all ramped and the the walkways are very accessible. But there is also a section that's cordoned off just for wheelchair users. Right. Um, and so you do get a pretty good. I mean, as a wheelchair user, you get a pretty good kind of view of of, um, of the penguin parade. Yeah, great. Um, but that's the really, I mean, I think you know all 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 the attractions on Phillip Island are very accessible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really good example to set. And you mentioned that you travel down there in a group, and yeah. I guess many travellers with a disability or reduced mobility are kind of required by necessity to travel with others. Mm-hmm. When you look at the economic benefits that these travellers and their companions can bring, is it surprising the amount that is being done, or is it surprising that more hasn't been it's done? It's surprising that more isn't being done. Yeah. I don't think there is enough... enough um, I don't think there's enough made of this sort of what's called the multiplier effect. Visit England have done have done studies, and I think they've they've put the multiplier effect at something like three point four for every one person who has a, a, a disability. There will be three point four other people travelling with them in a group, whether right. it be a day trip or an overnight trip. And I'm exact. I'm 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 I would fall exactly in that demographic because if I go out with friends. I'd usually go out with three friends. Mm-hmm. If I go out with my family, there are five of us. Yep. And we don't go anywhere where I can't go, obviously. So that's a huge potential loss of... Absolutely. You know, if yeah. dinner yeah. is $100 a head, then that's, you know, four, yep. $500 that a business or a restaurant might be missing out Absolutely. on. Absolutely. And, and the idea that, you know, our people with a disability, they've got no money and they, they don't go out anywhere, that, that's, 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 so, that's so outdated. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm the family's main breadwinner. I have a full-time job and yep. I'm not the only person with a disability with a full-time job. You know the idea that people with disability are just on pensions and never never leave the house. Mm. That, that's that's probably an idea that's that's forty years out of date. Right. It's yeah. you know, I mean you're not playing with monopoly money. It's you. The color of your twenty dollar note is the same as that's anybody right. else's. And I think you know with the NDIS coming in, that's that's also 
um, it's also going to have uh, an economic impact on the activities of people with a disability as they have access to more funds and also more control over, over their, their funding, mm-hmm. over their personal control over their funding. Uh, and I think that will make a huge difference as well. Yeah. What can Melbourne businesses and destinations do at low cost to make themselves more accessible? Provide information that's easily accessible. It all starts with information. It's very frustrating. Not only is that inf- is the information about accessibility not obviously on a, on every website, which is actually the portal that most people kind of use to have their first experience, experience yeah. with any business or particularly tourist attraction. You look it up on the web, mm. and um, and that information about accessibility is is very often buried deep in the website which, or not there at all. Which defeats the purpose. Which defeats, it's all about information. Yeah. And the other thing is is, is staff training and awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, if I call up, I want the staff to know uh, to know the answers to my questions. Uh, is, is it accessible? Is there level access? Where is the accessible entrance? Where is there an accessible toilet? Staff should be aware of all this without prompting and without saying, oh, can you call me back? Or I've just got to talk to somebody or just let me go and check. Mm-hmm. And it's about staff awareness and training. Yep. And that costs nothing, mm. actually. The other kind of low-cost things that, 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 that people can do is to, to, to kind of cater for people with um, poor vision, mm-hmm. you know, by providing large print menus or large print information brochures. Yeah. And again, it's it costs almost nothing. Mm. You know, it costs the cost of a photocopy piece yeah. of paper. Yeah. Um, you know, or a, or a printout from a Microsoft Word document in, in 12-point sans serif, black on, black on white. It's mm. really so cost-effective. And I guess if you're bringing up these as examples, then when you do see that in a restaurant, then it creates a really positive reflection of the of the restaurant to oh, you. And word of mouth. Yeah. You say, oh, look, I went to such and such a restaurant and, you know, I could actually read the menu, you mm. know, and then if you ask management, they can give you a large print menu and, oh, wow, great, I'm definitely going to try that out. Yeah, fantastic. So if you love Melbourne questions, you've been here for long enough to know your way around. Uh, what's your must-do Melbourne experience for visitors to the city? Probably to get out of the city, actually. I think, you know, the, the Great Ocean Road is really one of the most beautiful drives in the world, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's so, much, there's so much to kind of see outside the city. Yep. One of the beauties of Melbourne is no matter what direction you go in, you will get out of Melbourne very quickly and into different environments. And you've got the Great Ocean Road on the one side, and then you've got Wilson's Prom on the other. And Wilson's Prom is just, again, it's an amazing experience. It's 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 a real, true kind of Australian kind of bush experience as well. Uh, do you have a favourite restaurant? Probably not. There's, there's, there's a lot of restaurants I like. Okay. Um, I have to say, I have been to Vue du Monde, and it was pretty amazing. Right. Um, yeah, but not not cheap. <laughs> well, that might flow into my next question. What's your favourite view of the city? I've never been up into, into Eureka, actually. I'd like to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do like about Melbourne is that, again, you know, that it's, it's a very low-rise city. So you get outside Melbourne and, and from many different directions, whether it's from the east or from the west, you can see Melbourne. You can yep. see the CBD; it's there, and it's and I, and I love the fact that it is. It has been a low-rise development uh, across Melbourne, uh, and so you've still got this idea of you know there is a centre, there is the the city, the city centre. I was in Sydney recently, and there's a very different feel to Sydney. It's a, it's like a, a much more big city feel, and um, 
someone said, yeah, that's because Melbourne is these, like um, lots of lots of small towns put together, which is true. And you, I'm talking to the to the audience this morning, you know, it, there's lots of different small localities and and, 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 and and towns that are put together to make up Melbourne, whereas Sydney is much more a city. Do you have a favourite event? Probably, um, probably the, 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 the Australian Tennis Open, which I go to every year. And do you have a hidden secret? One of the one of the, one of the one of the great things about Melbourne I like is is the fact that in the school holidays that museums are free for um, for children and you know you can and, and adults and you can go to there's some great museum experiences that you can go to for free. Great. Thank you very much for your time, Martin. Okay. For the latest on Destination Melbourne events, industry news, and everything else that's going on around town, head to destination.melbourne.